it shocks me how you use your computer. What makes you say that? Um, earlier today, you sent me a screenshot of uh, of you editing the show, and just I always, uh, whenever somebody sends me like a home screen uh, screenshot or what they have on their dock, I always get uh, surprised, and I and I um, <laughs> evaluate the person based on it. You know what's actually funny is when I sent you that, I fully knew that you would you would look at my dock and judge me. Not judge. It's just I I I, I you can you can it's like. Uh, I don't actually do this, but uh, like historically, like going through somebody's medicine cabinet. <laughs> was that was that a thing? That was on Mad Men a couple seasons ago, or like that. There's that's like the quintessential, like yeah, you know, you're at somebody's house. And you... Not that I do this. I, well, no, of course, of course not. You just you just know people who do. Anyway, it's it's a popular uh, cultural um, uh, thing. Po- popular might be a stretch, or it's it's a well known thing. Anyway, well well known may also be a stretch, but anyhow. <laughs> So wait. So what was it that um, stood out on my dock? No, you just you just have. I, maybe I'm just weird. I, I, you have shockingly few applications open, and also the things that you use are very um, very uh, pedestrian's the wrong word, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just it's very basic. Or not not in that term either. Not not the way people use that word. I think um, no. I actually don't. I don't really take that. You have numbers as... in your dock. I, you know Numbers. what I, I've um so I I got the iWork suite as part of you know the purchase of the Retina MacBook Pro. I I didn't previously own iWork, and I I have I have not opened any of the iWork apps in the in the you know eight days that I've had them. So I don't really know why I have them in my dock. I mean they were just there by default, and I I haven't removed them. I I should though. Yikes. Um. Yeah. yeah. I you know I don't I think for as geeky as I am. I don't I don't know. I don't really I don't really do a lot on my computers. Like the stuff the stuff that I do is pretty basic. It's like RSS, Twitter, obviously a lot of Excel at work, email, calendar, I mean obviously web browsing, logic for the show. You know, that's that's kind of about it. Hmm. So I guess do you, this this will say a lot. Are you somebody who powers off their computer? No, you mean power off instead of putting it to sleep? Like when you're done computing for a period of time, do you just like like my computer never turns off? Like my it goes like fifty days between reboots, generally. So I have I have two answers to that. The first answer is my Mac Mini and my now Retina MacBook Pro. I never ever turn either of those off. Those are always just in sleep mode when I'm not using them. Um, the my my Windows computer for work. I do shut off every day. Well, because with big Excel files, it gets crafty and slow after a while, right? I don't even know if you can necessarily blame the Excel files. It's just a kind of a Windows thing. My experience with with Windows computers in the past has been if you put them to sleep every evening, it just doesn't usually end very well for you. That's the one thing, like, where I've never been able to get into a Windows computer is that they, they sleep and wake so horribly, even through Windows 7. Like, do, do you know when, like, you open up a Windows computer that hasn't been used in a couple hours and everything, like, just for the first couple minutes is just really laggy? Yes. Like, I don't know what you'd call that or how that how that shakes out, but Macs generally don't do that unless you don't have enough RAM. Right. No, my, um, my, my Windows laptop for work, I mean, it boots up very quickly. I think Windows, Windows 7 is pretty good at that, and it has a, you know, nice SSD and everything, which helps too, but... Definitely for the first couple of minutes. Like generally my routine in the morning is all turn it on, 
and then you know log in and go you know grab some you know breakfast and coffee and then i'll come back a couple of minutes later <laughs> okay well once, I mean, once windows had a minute to, to kind of clear its mind <laughs> yeah once it's, it's gathered its thoughts no, that's actually, I mean, you know, that's that's what's so great now about having this this MacBook Pro with me at work is I, and I've discovered this more now actually having that Mac with me, I really just don't enjoy using Windows. It's, it's obviously, it's great for what I do specifically at work with Excel, and actually Outlook is pretty good, I think. But what, what, um, what version do they allow you to use? We have 2011, 2011 probably? 2010. Gotcha. Yeah, or I think it's 2010, right? Maybe it's 2011. Or it's sorry, not no, the no, most... no, Mac is always one year ahead. So yeah, it's 2010. Yeah, it's not the most recent version for Windows. It's the version behind that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, for all other general computing use, I don't, I just don't enjoy using Windows very much. And so it's great now having that Mac at work. And so, you know, anything that's not explicitly work-related, so like my Twitter window and whatever, it's just, it's nice having that in OS X. Yeah. Um, not to take us off the subject, but have you ever met anybody who genuinely likes Windows 8? I, you know, to be perfectly honest, don't even know many people who are using Windows 8. Because sometimes, like, I'll, I'll go out into, uh, like, you know, like I'm at a coffee shop or something, and I'll see, um, it's mainly Macs in the Bay Area, but some people will be using Windows, and I saw some guy today, and he was using a touchscreen Lenovo ThinkPad. And he seemed like he was decent, like with computers, but he started touching the screen in weird ways and then switching to the keyboard and he couldn't get it to connect to Wi-Fi. So he just shut it and got frustrated. But I don't get the whole hybrid touch thing that seemingly every Windows 8 notebook has, no matter how cheap, which confuses me. Yeah, you know, I, I can't, I can't think of a time where I've ever seen somebody actually do that. Like, because Windows 8 has these weird gestures, so he kept swiping, like, from the right side of the screen, but it never did what he wanted. <laughs> I don't know. And I still understand how it has a desktop mode, and it has, like, the metro mode. I thought they fixed that already. Well, they, no, they, they changed it so that you can boot to, to the desktop directly. When Windows 8 first came out, you had no option but to first go into that, well, you know, they don't call it metro anymore, but the... It's called, like, Windows Modern or something like that. Something like that. Uh, you had no choice but to start there. Then you could go to the desktop. But I believe it was with 8.1, they introduced the option to, you know, go directly to the desktop. But what happens if you hit the start button or the start key? Doesn't that boot you back into that weird metro mode? Yes. So so no matter what, you always accidentally get there. That's correct. God, that must be frustrating. Yeah. Like, have you, on, on OS ten? have you ever seen that launch pad thing? That nobody uses? <laughs> well, I was um, actually, I was just kind of playing around with the, the MacBook Pro today. And yeah, I, I looked at Launchpad. but It's the worst thing in the world. It's, not, like, it's it, not very useful. It'd be like if Apple made that the default thing. And anytime you like went back to the Finder, it would just take you to that. Like I, I'm, yeah, I'm looking at it now. Uh, That's, that would, that'd be real bad. Oh, God. Although the icons are really pretty on a retina screen. <laughs> they are, but it makes no sense, and it's organized in the weirdest way. I also don't find um, what's what's the other mode the um, where you can kind of look at all your open windows at once. Expose. Expose. What about I it? Don't, I don't find that particularly useful either. How not? Probably because I just don't usually have very many windows open at once. 
Gotcha. But you know about the different gestures, right? Uh, yeah, I do. I was kind of playing around with those some today too. But I just I don't I don't know for the way that I use my computer, which again maybe is as basic as you say. Um, I just don't really I don't really have much of an active use for any of that stuff. Gotcha. It sounds like you're more um, keen and, a bit, and able to uh, focus on one task at a time. Where like you you will you will close like if you're mainly working on one thing, you will close the other like text documents or stuff you might be working on. Whereas I like inside TextMate always have like six things open at once, and I just have too many windows because I can't pick and stay focused. Oh yeah, totally. Like I'm I'm at, whether at work or just at home. Like I'm never the type to have. 10 browser windows open oh god no i can't handle more than like 10 tabs but i, I yeah oh that, well, that's kind of what i meant 10 tabs or whatever like I, I just i'm no i'm I'm generally pretty pretty focused gotcha um so i'm sorry going back to it well so yeah. um a weekend or uh, a little over a weekend how do you feel about your uh your new mac very good um as i you know, as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, I just I really enjoy just having a Mac with me now. Just you know, little things like being able to use iMessage on my Mac instead of you know texting people throughout the day on my phone. I can do that from my computer now, which is really neat. Um, I've been using you know Fantastical on the Mac, which you know we were texting a little bit about that today. It's not necessarily game changing on the Mac. It's but it's nice. It's it's nice to be able to kind of use that as my primary calendar uh, throughout the day. Um, I like it a lot. I mean, the everything about it, the build quality is fantastic. You know, everything from the screen to the trackpad to the, I, I love the keyboard. Um, you know, we were, com- we were complaining a little bit about, um, the, you know, the weight y- last week, but I, after, after a week of, of actively using it and, you know, having it in my backpack along with my other work laptop, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty light. And ha- having those two computers in my backpack has not been not been a problem at all. Um, so overall, I, I I would consider myself uh, very happy with my purchase. And no issues. Uh, you haven't run into any issues uh, with only the 128 gig storage. No, because with um, the audio I, files, I thought that might be a little bit weird. No, you know, I I, I think like a. I can I could pull this up I guess I think a, a completed let's look at this so if I go to our posted episodes pull up like a recent one here like a completed show is about eight gigabytes and that's you know all of the call recorder files all the logic files and then the final MP3 and I you know ideally if I'm keeping up with editing the show timely I'll only ever have you know one show on my computer at a time but even when I'm a couple shows behind like I am now, you know, it's still only two or three shows at most. Yeah. Um, and ex- excluding the whole v- uh, remote desktop thing, um, how much faster is it to uh, work with the files on an SSD? It, it very, very much. And it seems it seems particularly fast on the MacBook Pro. And my, my point of comparison is the Mac Mini that I have. Everything just seems, uh, you know, a beat faster on that on that MacBook Pro. And I mean, it's a newer computer, so maybe it's kind of like, well, duh. But, you know, my Mac Mini has 16 gigabytes of RAM versus the 8 in the Retina MacBook Pro. Um, I don't necessarily think there's a huge difference between the processors. Like, what is it in my Mac Mini here? It's a 2.3 gigahertz Core i7. So, you know, decent. But but the, the MacBook Pro seems very, very fast. Well, good. Glad you're satisfied with the purchase. So what what about you? 
that's fine. <laughs> uh, for me, that's I, such a that's such a typical response from you. I, I don't mean that. I don't mean that in a bad way. No, it's just um, I I enjoy the increased battery life. Like I mean, I I used uh, the computer quite a bit today uh, off uh, power, probably about three hours, and I came home and it still had eighty one percent battery. That's the kind of stuff with my old computer where I would have been like probably down to like uh, just a third left over. So I don't know. It's better in that regard. It's smaller. It's kind of lighter. I guess I'm just bummed that it's it's a slower computer than a computer I got three years ago. I guess that's the part that kind of kills me. Really? Well, the thing is last time, because I've downgraded. So, I mean, even though I got the maxed out model with the 16 gigs of RAM, half terabyte SSD, and the 3.1 gigahertz dual core i7, because I multitask a lot, it's slower than the um, quad core 2.8 gigahertz i7 that I had from 2012. Because I've hmm. lost those two cores. Hmm. But that's also what was just murdering the battery life. As was the um, the dedicated graphics card. So performance wise, like when you get a new computer, you really, really want it to feel faster, just so it kind of feels like you upgraded. But for me, it's it's a minor hit in performance, but getting considerably better battery life and um, something that's easier to tote around. Because there is a big difference between carrying a 15 and a 13-inch laptop. Like a 15 just feels too large for most applications. Like you want the big screen, but you don't want to take the big screen anywhere. So overall, I'm kind of happier with it. Well, to take the uh, the glass half full approach, at least you didn't get one of the new MacBooks. You probably would have really felt the difference there. God, the, no. Well, the thing is, I would tolerate the performance hit on that. Like, I was totally willing to do that, as well as the compromise on ports. But that keyboard. Yeah. The only complaint I have um, is that I just I wish Apple would just embed 4G into it. I know that would probably wouldn't be as popular, and uh, it wouldn't be popular enough to warrant including it or even being like a build to order option. But personal hotspot, whatever feature they keep advertising that you can initiate hotspot from the Mac onto your phone or iPad, it does not work as advertised. And just that whole 30 seconds of get like unlocking your phone, going into settings, turning on personal hotspot, waiting for it to connect, it's just it's it's annoying enough where like I'm like I kind of just maybe I'll just use the iPad, but I I wouldn't I wouldn't mind that so much if it actually worked consistently. I mean we've talked about this on the show some I think some episodes back, but my problem is I can just never reliably get my iPhone to share its LTE connection with my iPad. It, it always takes at least Wait, with your... two attempts. Oh, sorry, between iOS devices. Yes. Okay, so I'm specifically talking about with the Mac. No, I know, but I think the concepts are kind of the same, and it sounds like the lack of reliability is similar, too. Yeah, I found that it works more reliably if you have Bluetooth uh, left on on the Mac. But I guess the issue is when I put the laptop to sleep, it's still like it seems five minutes later to hop back on, which then I have to go and explicitly turn off personal hotspot, which is also a pain in the butt. Right. So I don't know. It's it's a work in progress. But overall, uh, I would say it's a it's a B minus upgrade. Hmm. That's that seems uh, that's pretty harsh, I think. But hopefully it, it'll grow on me. And a last Mac subject. Um, now that you're kind of fully integrated with uh, OS X as your primary computing operating system, uh, do you think you will um, give OmniFocus a try? Or no need for it? 
No, I might. Um, I mean, I, I think in general, between just keeping a detailed calendar like I do, both a, a work calendar and a personal calendar, and then utilizing reminders in Fantastical, you know, most of the time that, that actually services me really well, but there, there are definitely areas with, you know, kind of getting things done, as you would say, that I could probably improve. It's a big investment, though, right? Because I, I assume that if you go the OmniFocus route, you really want to go all in with it, where you've got, you know, the iOS apps and the OS ten app. Yeah, it's one hundred twenty dollars for the for all for all of them. Or there, there's forty dollars for kind of um, a well, actually, you'd probably be fine with it. But there's um, like a version that has like eighty percent of OmniFocus, and then there's the Pro version. But the Pro version has things that used to be included in version one, so I'm just used to them, so I couldn't. Like, I'd have to relearn stuff, so I just had to pay for it. And then the iOS version has gone universal, so it's iPad and iPhone um, for, I think, 30 or 40 bucks. So wait, so how much is the, the OS X version? It's either 40, it's 40 for OmniFocus 2, or it's, 40 for, uh, or it's 80 for OmniFocus 2 Pro. It's just that I'm used to some of the features. Like, before, there was only OmniFocus Pro, and I'm just used to some of the stuff that they took away in the kind of stripped-down version. But for a new user, I'm sure it'd be fine. So okay, so I could I could go all in with the non-pro version for between like OS ten and okay, yeah, yeah. I don't know. So well, how do you um, with reminders? How do you like how do you separate the important stuff that doesn't necessarily have like a time and place versus the kind of I kind of want to do this or maybe I want I need this. I well, so I think that's where OmniFocus could help me is because I really only set something as a reminder if it is truly important. Like if it's something that I really don't want to forget to do, that's where it goes into reminders. But if there is something that's maybe not as urgent, but it's something that I should do and, you know, maybe should do like not necessarily at a set time, but, you know, within like the next couple of days, I don't really have a medium for that. Gotcha. So that's what it it really um, does well for. So yeah, I'd I'd recommend giving it a try. I think they have a a two week trial on their website for the Mac. I might do that. I I have I think I kind of talked about this when we were talking about the the MacBook Pro. But I I do really like just now all of the apps that I enjoy using on my iPhone and iPad. I can you know use on my computer now too. I mean, I've had them on a lot of them on my Mac Mini, but I'm just not on this computer very much. But since I'm on you know the Retina MacBook Pro all day, it's great having things like Fantastical and Slack and all that, you know, yeah. right there. All right. And just to wrap things up, a quick question: um, with Windows, is it still the case that like there's other than Microsoft stuff and like enterprise focused stuff, are there really just no good apps for Windows? Yeah. Like, does I that mean, make it, sense? It does. I mean, I I think you know, like Windows the, never the, has well designed apps for it like you have a lot of utilities or you have like big honking software like office or like adobe creative suite there's no like in between kind yeah of. no that's that's the thing like the, the apps are there i mean the, the two examples that come to mind that i use every day are slack and one password and you know it, they're there they're on windows they're available but neither applications version on windows is anywhere nearly as polished as the os 10 versions are that's a good way of putting it because I would say they are close in terms of feature parity, but the user experience, I guess it's because like there's no expectation that it should be good on Windows. 
Yeah, right? no, it's it's it, right. It, it's little things like with one password, the little um, the menu bar extension, the, and the menu the, bar extension, right, which is amazing, is, is wonderful. And you just you know you don't you don't get that on Windows. <laughs> does, um, does it have a Metro tile? <laughs> I maybe yeah, actually it might. I don't know, but I I have Windows Seven on my work laptop, so I wouldn't know. Oh, gotcha. Um, yeah, I just yeah, the, the, I I enjoy I enjoy the fit and finish of. OS 10. Yeah. Or at least that, um, actually for all OS 10's faults, it, um, it kind of pushes people like it, you are discouraged from making just like quick utilities. You kind of have to make something that's worth being on somebody's dock. And for you, especially because you have a very sparse dock. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe a better way of, of putting, uh, the state of my dock is I'm just, I'm very selective. I have very high standards. Um, well, God, I have to pull it up again. Oh wait! So going back to numbers, and also, and you still have, God, I forget how ugly Audacity's icon is. Well, so the the, <laughs> the actually the biggest problem with Audacity, and it, I mean, let's let's be fair here. It's a free application. It's absolutely wonderful. It does a lot of really great things, um, including some things for this show. Um, it's open source. <laughs> it's open source. Um, but and that, the, and that carries a lot of. Uh... It's not VLC style open source. It's it's open source, open source. Yes, rough around the that, edges. The biggest so the biggest problem is not the icon. It's the fact that it's not Retina optimized. Oh, it, it and it also I don't think it's native Carbon either. Or like it's it's not. It is not a Mac centric application by any means. No, um, so using it on a Retina Mac is rough, really rough. I mean, it's, I mean it's, it works. It's just ugly. Yeah, it totally works, but it's you know it's just it's very akin to the iPhone four days, the early iPhone four days, where you kind of had to just suffer through using a lot of non-retina optimized apps. Yeah, and there there is you know in addition to just being ugly, there is actually some usability stuff where just you know buttons are oddly big, and it's you know. Fortunately, with Audacity, I, I only use it for one very specific thing for the show, and it doesn't really require a lot of interaction with the UI, so not a big deal. But and you, and you still have the App Store in there too. Okay. Yeah, I, I know. I I need to. I well, see, these are things, right? Like, I've never thought about the dock on my Mac Mini because I just don't. Again, don't use this computer much, and I've I've only had that the laptop for a week. So sure. And do you think you'd ever become a? Uh dock hiding person i was thinking about that the other day and i figured that's something you'd ask me about because i know that you are and aren't you you're a dock like on the side person too right no no so i posted an image <clears throat> in the slack and now i'm a dock uh hide person at the bottom and i use a small level of magnification and i find that that works best for me including launch bar you used to be on the side though right um i, I toyed with that for a couple were. years yeah, but I, I, I've gone much more towards like keyboard-based stuff by using a launch bar, which is a very, very worthwhile application. A total newbie question: Can I can I get the the darker color dock without having it hide? Yeah, no. You just go into uh, click the apple on the top left, system preferences, go to appearance, and then you can also get the um, uh, you can go to dark mode, where the menu bar at the top is also dark, which I prefer. Oh. Where do, where do I go for that again? Uh, go to System Preferences. Yep. Uh, appearance, or sorry, it's under General. A general, okay. And then the second checkbox, use Dark Mode, or Dark Menu Bar. Oh. 
I don't, I don't really like the the dark top as much. The menu menu bar icons look weird. No, they don't. Like the menu bar icons should change along with it. I mean, yeah, they change from black to white, but I think that looks kind of weird. Nah. Mm, I don't know. Well, I'll play around with that some. <laughs> um, actually, so I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the force touch trackpad, my my one sort of complaint with it so far is that the haptic feedback is it's just it's not very strong like i wish it would like with the click sensation you get i wish it were a little stronger mm-hmm. is, is there a way to edit that or change that absolutely not and and i'm, I'm glad or i mean I, I i that's one thing i really like about it is that it uh so i've switched for click that it takes a firm like press in order to engage that because i'm a, a tapped click kind of person and i appreciate how quiet and how minimal the um, haptic feedback is. It's enough, but not too much. Like the old clicky ones, I did not like at all. It was just too loud, which is why I always um, only tap to click. I, yeah, I guess I guess I wish it was somewhere in the middle. I agree that the actual physical click was too loud, and it just it just kind of felt awkward at times. But I don't know. I just I wish this would give you a little bit more feedback. Yeah. But overall, it it's excellent. Mm-hmm. Um. All right. Well, I think I think that cover that covers everything with the the MacBook Pros, right? I think so. I mean, since we're on the subject of OS ten, do you want to talk about um John Syracuse uh, hanging it up? We should. We definitely should. So, were you again? I know you you aren't like a longtime Mac user, but uh, were you a pretty religious reader like in the past uh, few years of his reviews? I was. Um. I I can't I can't claim to have read every single word, but. I would say a majority, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's very good. So um, John Syracuse is a uh, web developer from uh, the East Coast who, for the past 15 years or so, has been like a contractor for Ars Technica, which I wouldn't say it's a PC site, but it's definitely not. It's it's a computer nerd-centric site. It's definitely not um, Apple or Mac-centric. Um, and he just writes these incredibly thorough, well-researched, reviews that also like in its history has served as just like a tremendous resource and reference for the Mac community. And it's really fun if you're ever bored um, to go to look at, look at this, how weird and uh, just strange early OS 10 was <laughs> and how, because again, if you weren't like an old time user, things didn't get um, good or um, like usable for like mass market audiences until 10.4 which was uh, the Tiger release back in, I think, 2005 or 2006. But no, it's good times. And uh, he, yeah, he did amazing stuff. And um, it's something like they were generally like uh, 15 to 20,000 words. Like it's like um, a fourth or half of like a standard novel. So he he did a ton of great work and um, I'm glad it's there. Yeah. And, you know, and, and in addition to just the, you know, the word count, he also was absolutely meticulous with the screenshots that he would take. Like he would do little things like, he, he would take some screenshots throughout the, the beta releases because he would write most of the, you know, most of, I guess, all of the review pretty much using the, you know, beta releases. And whenever something visually would change, he would go back and update every screenshot he had taken where that change would have been present. It, just thinking about it makes, makes my head hurt. <laughs> it's just such an investment. And it's, and again, based on like, and he was so good with the under the hood changes too. And describing them in a way that, like, non-developers, I'm not saying, like, everyday users, 
but like how like computer enthusiasts would understand it who don't actually know how to how to write the actual code right he he talked so he he talked a lot about his decision on the most recent version of atp so if you want to kind of hear hear from him directly on this that i i highly recommend that episode and you know one of the things he spent some time talking about was he really felt that os 10 reviews have gone in sort of two two directions one where you have a super technical kind of developers only kind of review and then you've got more of the I forget exactly how he described it, but more of like kind of like the, the touchy-feely kind of review, like just kind of how does it feel to use the operating system and really basically just ignoring all of the technical details. And what his reviews did so well is kind of find a middle ground between the two where he would spend a lot of time talking about the nitty-gritty technical stuff, but to you know, like you were describing, not in a way that couldn't be accessible by a lot of people. But then he also spent a lot of time just talking about the the general usability of the operating system. So his reviews were this happy middle ground that I think really reached about as broad, broad of an audience as you possibly could with uh, with an operating system review. Yeah. And lastly, I would just say that he was very, very good at, like, for the reviews, crafting, like, a coherent narrative where you understood, like, he... Had not had, just had an opinion on the software, but he was telling you kind of what all the changes meant going forward for the user, for performance, for development. So it was all just it was just well thought out and and very easy and enjoyable to read. Because I mean, if you're just writing about low level APIs and changes to compiler, memory allocation, stuff like that, that can be very boring and dry. And, and certain websites specialize in that, but he has found a way to balance it, which is very good. And, you know, on the on the plus side, and he talked about this on ATP as well, now that he's not going to be writing these reviews, he can spend more time and, and feel freer sharing his thoughts on podcasts. Because you know, in the past, he's kind of held back some of his thoughts because he didn't want to just regurgitate what was already in his written review. So I think he's he's one of my favorite podcasters right now. He's just very, very enjoyable to listen to. So um, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to hearing more of his thoughts on future OS 10 releases through through podcasts. Yeah. All right, let's uh, uh pour one out for <laughs> for uh, for uh, Breville guy. Are you, so you are you pouring out a uh, mimosa? <laughs> no. Is it is that a, is that still a thing? Do you still drink mimosas when we record? Of course. No, um uh, not I mean in general I do, but not when I when we I I drink whatever is is fashionable um at the time. Oh. Uh, is there is there a more a more fashionable thing lately? No, not at all. Okay. Um, all right. Yeah. Um, did you ever listen to much of hyper uh, hypercritical? Oh yeah, I, I I think I listened to just about every episode. And you remember the good ones like the uh, the TiVo episode, the uh, bi- biography episode, and the toaster episode. I do. Very good. We bought that toaster. <laughs> Did you really? I swear to God, it, it it it's fantastic. He was right. We've complained uh, some on uh, on the last couple of the last few episodes about you know podcast ads and just kind of the direction they've gone. But the one one ad I find consistently enjoyable is when Cards Against Humanity sponsors <laughs> ATP, and they don't they don't they they buy the ad spot, but they they don't have the hosts talk about Cards Against Humanity at all. Instead. 
they send John a toaster to review, and he spends probably about about ten minutes or so talking about these toasters, and it it's just it's, it's wonderful. It's the best. It, it really is. Uh, if only uh, other companies could do could. Ugh. I can only hear about uh, Harry's shave cream and uh, what's the, what's the other one? Backblaze so many more times. <sighs> yeah, I well, think well, I would. Uh, I won't get you started again. No, it, that was from from two episodes back where it's it just it is. It's the same five. It's the same five advertisers who advertise on every one of the podcasts that we listen to, and I, I honestly, I, they're all they're all good brands, and I I don't mind hearing about them. It's just the repetitiveness between all these different shows that you know becomes tiresome and also certain certain hosts uh like the recent episodes of the talk show where it just get it's it's gotten much looser and the ads seem to go on forever and just kind of not sure what you what you're getting out of it yeah i i, mean, I judge the i judge the length of these ads by the number of times i have to hit the 30 second skip button in overcast oh i've uh, I've gotten very good at predicting how long, like in, in a, a hover is a, a registrar that I use and I have, I don't know, like 15 domains with, but, um, I, I know exactly how long it's going to take for, uh, Mike Hurley or, um, or, uh, Marco Arment to talk about, um, their domain valet service. Yeah. I feel like I've gotten pretty good at that too. Yeah. Six or seven, the rule of thumb generally. God, that's, a, that's a lot. I mean, that's three to four minutes. Yeah. Again, I mean, I, I love them, but again, I've, I've got the point. Not that I don't want them to sponsor anymore, but you know, for me personally, I'm a happy customer and I'm tired of hearing about you. Yeah, I agree. That's that's the thing, right, is most of what's being advertised, I'm an active user of, so I don't I don't need to hear more about more about it. I use I use Squarespace, you know. Wait, how did you pronounce I, it? Squarespace. Oh, you said Squarespace. Um, uh, did, I, did I put a weird <laughs> emphasis on the space? You did. Hmm. Yeah, I, you know, unfortunately, as the one who edits these shows and having to listen to these, I, you know, I, I do pick up on some of my little quirks or just little one-off mistakes. And when you hear them, it's, oh, it's, it's cringe-inducing sometimes. I keep them in, though. I, I, I could edit them out, but generally I don't. Yeah, at least you don't swear, so you keep it family-friendly. <sighs> yeah, your vul- vulgar language is, is challenging sometimes. It's not, I just passionate about my opinions <laughs> all right uh, so uh what's new you give us a topic or, what, um, or what's a bee in your bonnet or what are you excited about <laughs> a, bee, a bee in my bonnet um well so i know that we i know that we we, we kind of wanted to put a moratorium on the apple watch talk and we and we will for the most part but i've got one <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like none of that it sounds like you're going to talk about it for 20 minutes well, no, 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 not at all. But there's one little bit of Apple Watch news where it's become quickly apparent over the last couple of weeks that supply is, is sparse and that not, not many people are getting their watch really in the month of April, period. And so one of the things that Apple's doing is they are giving select developers a chance to purchase a 42-millimeter silver aluminum uh, blue sport band. I guess I, I could have just said silver. I could have left aluminum out of there. It's just it's the silver sport model with the blue band, and they're saying that they guarantee that the watch will ship by April twenty eighth, and this is to encourage developers to have a watch so that they can develop, you know, their apps using WatchKit. Um, I don't know. Just thought it was kind of just kind of thought it was kind of funny that they 
have this one particular model that they're offering this for because it would seem to kind of indicate that uh, perhaps this is not the most popular variant of the watch. Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't want to th- uh, say that this is like my own original idea because this honestly never really occurred to me. But the colors that they chose for the the ones that the like the neon colors, not the black, excluding the black and the white, aren't good colors. Like insofar that they are too bright to be like cons- like to not cl- clash with fashion. Not that I'm an expert on that. But they're just too bright for like black or white bands can kind of blend in to most styles, whereas neon green and neon blue are, I think those are weird choices, and I think something like more like some reds or some like maybe like orange like oranges uh, oranges or yellow might have been a better choice. I I've kind of felt this way about the colors that Apple's chosen for a long time though, like specifically in recent years with the iPod touch, I've never thought the colors on those were any good. Well, I, I agree, but the thing is they've had what I feel are great color choices in terms of, um, iPad smart covers. Cause I, I like the, you know, the midnight blue you've got the, um, they had that orange that I still have, even though I don't have an iPad two anymore. Um, they had like the product red. Like I don't understand why there isn't a product red band. I would buy that in a second. I don't know. Hmm. Like you don't think red would look nice? Like a nice deep red, not a bright red, a deep red. I don't think any. I don't think any bright color watch band is would be very nice looking. No. Even white. White maybe. I think white's nice and plain. Maybe. You know, for, I mean, we, as big of a fan as I am of neon green, and I actually do think the neon green, like the actual color they use looks okay, but. But functionality wise. I would just, yeah. It's I just too would, limiting. Yeah. I just would never, cause I, I could, I mean, I could wear it at work, but like I would, I generally wouldn't want to. Like I, I don't see anyone who could wear the neon green or the, or the like uh, electric blue without in anything but a t-shirt. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it just, I don't know, it, it just draws undue attention to the watch. Like, not in a positive way, though. Yeah. If, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, hey, these these quirky colors, at least you're getting your, your watch sometime before the middle of May. I've, I've, I've been checking my order today because of the, the buzz on Twitter was that some, some folks were getting the, you know, preparing to ship or even, you know, tracking numbers today. No such and, luck. Um, no, for the 42 millimeter space gray sport, my understanding is that everybody still has the May 13th to 27th window. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm optimistic that's overly conservative, but we'll see. So, but you still think not in April? No, I, I my my hope is the first week of May. Cool. Which would be that'd be okay. Do you think you're going to have to buy a second charger? No. Interesting. Well, maybe. See, that's the thing. I don't see how you couldn't have one for your desk, or at the very least, a travel one. Well, that's I wouldn't. I wouldn't have one at work. I. I don't. I mean, if I'm if I'm having to charge the watch at work, I guarantee you will, because we've I've already I've already argued this point at, like at length for hours. But you're gonna forget to charge it sometimes. 
and it's going to be dead and you're going to have to not wear it for like three hours and then eventually you're just going to stop wearing it. Uh, well, may- maybe. It's not like a phone. It's supposed to be on your person. So you just, no. I the the travel the travel charger is the more that the or for for traveling would be the more likely reason I'd get a second one. But I don't I, mean, I don't travel a ton. I mean I I do go on little weekend trips relatively often, but um I don't know I don't know if I do that quite often. I, I mean what do those extra chargers cost? Like twenty bucks or something? It's Apple, sir. I think it's at least forty. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> why why wouldn't it be? I couldn't believe when I guess I thought about getting a second uh, MagSafe two, you know, adapter for the MacBook Pro, one for home, one for work, and um, those things are. I mean, what I how did, did you I say not they think were? that was eighty dollars? I just ugh. Like, I, like certain things about Apple do not surprise me or, or surprise me sometimes, but accessory prices are not one of them. <laughs> yes, I mean, I, like it, it, I, I could I could print out like or I could write from memory or just like, like I could predict every single. Because it's just whatever you think the rational price would be times three. Yeah, I mean, as, as somebody who used to work in you know retail, I shouldn't be surprised on the markup of accessories, but still. How much uh, was that little, um, you know, the little metal thing? <laughs> the one that's just an adapter from MagSafe 1 to 2. It's like four cents of aluminum. <laughs> so that's... That's what I did end up getting for home because I have my cinema display, which has a you know original MagSafe connector on it. Um, Is that ten or twenty? I think it's the cheapest thing you could buy 10, at the Apple Store. Ten, ten bucks, yeah, nine okay. ninety nine. And actually, you know what? I, I haven't had to charge my MacBook Pro at home yet, so it's probably a good thing that I didn't invest the money to get a second charger. And hmm. I, the way the way that I'm using, because I just have it plugged in all day at work. That's in, that that's very interesting. How so? I don't know. I would just I would just think the exact opposite. You charge you charge at home. You use on battery during the day. Not not the reverse. That's hmm. Well, but my but the laptop just sits on my desk all day at work. So yeah. There's no reason for it not to be plugged in. Interesting. Hmm. And I don't. I use it some at home, but not a ton. So and it, it's basically fully charged by the time I get home. So. Interesting. You know, the only the only times I'd ever charge it at home, I think, really, would be like if I use it a lot over a weekend. Got it. All right, so that's yeah, no, no more Apple Watch. That was the only only little thing I wanted to to bring up. Sure. Um, do you have anything else oh, for the entire show or for the Apple Watch? Uh, just in general, life, the show, whatever. Um, uh, eventually we have to, I assume, talk about Mad Men. But yes. um, hold on, let me check the Slack. Are you are you excited for Com- uh, uh, Comcast Time Warners? Um. I guess we should just start calling them that, right? Uh, I don't know. Or do you think they'll go with the new Comcast and pull an AT and T? Maybe <laughs> Comcast and Time Warner are becoming the new Comcast. Yeah. Um, are you excited for the the speed bump that they're bringing to the Bay Area? I, I mean, sure. It's you know, if it if I get faster internet for paying the same amount I do today, I mean, that's yeah, that's a good thing. You do so. Uh, you are are you on the performance or the blast tier? Uh, I'm on whatever gives me uh, fifty down. Okay, so you're gonna get up to seventy five then. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna argue. I, I I can't say there's many times where I go, man, I wish my internet were faster. I mean, for 
pretty much everything I do, it, it's fine, but... You're living the dream. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's cool. And the idea of a two gigabit service sounds really neat. But the thing is, I, I don't understand where that comes into play other than for business customers. And also, when they eventually bring uh, bandwidth caps within the next year or two, um, <laughs> why do you have a two gigabit connection to use up your 150 gigabyte limit? I just yeah. yeah, and I actually wasn't clear in the article, and this is obviously inside baseball, just for for well, actually really just for me. Like I wasn't clear whether they're bringing this to San Francisco itself or whether this was the San Francisco area. I thought it was going to be most everywhere, except I mean, certain areas might not have these fiber backhaul that they need. Well, well that's what I mean, though. Is I, usually when they say most everywhere, the little bit that's excluded is san francisco itself i don't think that's the case it might be only certain parts like uh soma or places where that are like newer and it might have the um the enough fiber for it but i, I think it'll definitely be in, in most places in the city probably i don't know i i again I'm, I'm generally pretty happy with with my internet service so i mean I, again I'm, I'm not gonna argue you know against faster internet for for no additional charge but not something I'm necessarily clamoring at the bit for. I think that's a new one. A clamoring at the bit? Yes. That's a phrase that no, I it's use not. not super often, but I, I use it from time to time. Okay. But but you know it's not a phrase that anybody but you uses, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um Yeah. Wanna talk basketball? Um Sure. I'm surprised you do. Uh, again, this is Warriors ground. Ugh. <laughs> what? That's the worst. So who's uh, the this this Stephen Curry guy? Well, what's what's his deal? <laughs> or what? You did that intentionally. Didn't no, you? I. D- Isn't that his name? Uh, I yeah. I, I guess. <laughs> wait. Yes, it's his name. Yet you're laughing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't know. Just the way you said it was kind of funny. Um, I mean, he's, he's, he's good. I mean, he's, he's a MVP candidate. He might end up actually winning the award. Isn't he, again, I don't, I don't watch too much of it, but isn't he supposed to be pretty doggone impressive? Yeah. Oh, he's, he's, oh, he's fantastic. He's a great player. Okay. He doesn't play for the Lakers though. So would you say he's like a, uh, early two thousands Kobe? They're very different players. So no, I would, I wouldn't compare him to Kobe. Okay, what makes him different? He's a he's a point guard, and Kobe's a you know shooting guard. Well, sure, it's, but it's very different positions. I mean, uh, you know, Curry's the one bringing the ball up the floor frequently. Um, he's much more of a, an outside shooter. He shoots a lot more threes than Kobe ever did. Isn't that more impressive? Again, I'm just speaking as a as a outsider. It's just, it's, it's different. Okay, they're very they're very different players. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I don't know. I just my my general interest in the NBA throughout the regular season, and it's it, it rebounds a uh, bad pun there. Uh, it rebounds a bit during the uh, the playoffs, but my my, just my general interest when the Lakers aren't any good kind of wanes a little bit. Because hmm. I find that like when the Lakers are competitive in the playoffs, I find the entire playoffs to be really interesting. Not not just watching the series the Lakers are in, but watching all of the other series. And now I I don't know I I've, I've been watching quite a few of the games, but 
not not as many as I would if the Lakers were in it. So do you have any team that's still um is it still the first round of the playoffs? Yeah, yeah. They, they the playoffs just started uh on Saturday. Is there any team that you particularly like? Uh no. Um yeah, I, I respect the Spurs a lot. Like I don't I don't hate the Spurs. Um they I mean they're well coached. I really respect Tim Duncan, but I mean no, I don't I don't really don't really care a whole lot. I just I want this I want the series to be competitive. That's kind of my my main thing. Okay. But well, then who do you think the best team to play against the Warriors are? Um like specifically like the the hardest matchup for them or just the teams that well, are Well, I mean since they're going to take whatever league or conference or whatever they're in, they they seem unstoppable. So who do you think would in the fi- like the NBA finals, what team who would likely play against them? Uh who do you think would create the longest and best series i think the cat the Cavs are the only team out of the east that could give them a lot of trouble and is that the team that lebron went back to right is he still doing good or is he doing well yeah. sorry yeah he's he's fantastic okay i thought he had a slow start to the season he did he, he missed some games he was kind of getting over some nagging injuries but no he's been really good the last few months and he's been great these first couple of playoff games well all right I think actually getting through the West is the harder part for the Warriors. I think if they make it to the finals, they're probably in pretty good shape. But there's this, there's a lot of really good teams. I mean, like the next round of the playoffs, they're going to have to play. It's I mean, it's the winner of the Memphis-Portland uh, series, but Memphis is up 2-0, and it seems very likely they're going to win that. I, I think Memphis is going to be a, a tough matchup for them. And I'm sorry, Memphis is considered the West? <laughs> and if you ask the NBA, it is, yes. Okay. Yeah, um, Memphis is the West. Uh, and, uh, Minneapolis is the West. Um, and then, But then Chicago is the East. Okay, so that's where it splits. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's very strange. Uh, who's winning the flyover conference? Was was that in a published episode, or was that just me saying terrible things in a in an unreleased episode? No, I'm, I'm fairly certain that was in a published episode. Yeah. Okay, all right. And we we yeah you know, we leave that all in. Okay, good. <laughs> all right. Uh, what other uh, wrap up do we have? Um. Well, I guess if we want to sneak in a little bit more technology news, I mean, if if that's okay with you, yeah, go for it. Um, the the Google Wireless stuff, uh, Project Fee, uh, which I mean, you know. Uh, Google specifically has come up with a lot of really bad names over over the years for stuff, but um, this this seems um, this seems particularly bad. Hopefully, maybe they'll come out with something different when it's you know for consumers. But yeah, Project Fee is not a good name. Yeah. So do you? Yeah. This is this is interesting and weird. Do you think it's it's half-hearted because they don't want to poke the eye of like the carriers who they do rely on quite a bit for the continued success of Android? I I guess, but even because you you would you uh, would you agree that this is a pretty not half-assed, but or but it's not a wholehearted attempt. It's it's not, but it it's still enough if I'm one of these carriers to be like you know, hey, what are you, what are you doing here? 
But at the, I mean, at the same time, it's not like they're off building their own network. I think that that would be a totally different thing. I mean, they, they're just piggybacking on existing carriers. So at the end of the day, the the carrier, the the main carriers still kind of have control over this whole thing. Uh, one thing we should put in there is that Sprint, and, and I don't know if T-Mobile did as well, but they've negotiated this in the in a way that um, if this becomes successful, they have the option of renegotiating. So there's a limited volume of data and number of subscribers that they can actually get on their current deal, which I think is smart for Sprint. Right. I, I guess, you know, my my general takeaway from this is is sort of similar to the discussion we were having a couple of weeks ago about people getting really excited about like a new Apple TV and like debundling your channels and buying TV kind of like a la carte. And how that's going to be great and cheaper and everything. And when you actually start to look at the the numbers, that's just simply not the case. Where existing cable packages today, like the one that I have, actually would is significantly cheaper than if I were to try to go out and get all the same channels that I watch today separately. Uh, particularly when you include, you know, like the added cost of internet when you debundle it from from TV. I see this as the same sort of situation where. Even one of their more basic plans, which at the top of this Ars Technical article that that I linked to, they've got the like the fee basics plan, which I, I'm assuming is like unlimited talk and text, and then it looks like three gigabytes of data, and that's fifty bucks a month. Um, I have a family plan on AT and T where it's my dad, sister, and myself. We have unlimited talk and text. I think, or some some ungodly number of minutes and unlimited text. It may as well be unlimited talk. And 10 gigabytes of shared data between the three of us. And I, I pay, I think, about 50 bucks a month. So, you mean 150 in total? Right. Well, so, yeah, but this, this is for in, individual plans. Like, if you tried to get that as an individual, just a single line, it, it you lose the benefits of sharing. That's fair. But I, I, I guess what I'm just saying is that it... It's it's not it's not difficult to get into a family plan. I mean, I've I've known plenty of people who even just do that with friends. Sure. Um, so I don't know. I just it seems, it seems like in some ways, like this is trying to solve a problem that doesn't really exist. I mean, maybe, maybe that's maybe that's not completely fair. Maybe it, it really does exist for people who really do have to be like on a personal plan. But I guess just speaking for me, I. I'm not unhappy. I'm not unhappy with my cell phone bill. Like I think I pay a fair amount. And I think I get a lot for what I pay for. So I'm not clamoring to switch off of AT and T, and I'm not clamoring to pay less than what I do. I don't really see what this what this does for anybody because I I think even though I've I've said that the T-Mobile approach is unsustainable. I think they're the ones that are kind of driving any big price changes or um, unconventional types of, uh, not business practices, but um, like pricing strategies in the wireless space. So I don't see what this does other than limiting the phone that you can have. And what we should say the other big thing is that um, it combines three networks that it uh, allows you to do calling over Wi-Fi, and then it will somehow dynamically select um, either a Sprint or a T-Mobile connection, depending on which one has the stronger signal for you. 
So I guess that's unique and novel. Yeah, I mean that that does seem. But but I'm sorry, but th- those are the two worst carriers. Like oh, so what? So so being able to switch from both of them leads to service that's half as good as AT and I don't get it. I mean, yeah, like the, in in concept, that seems like a neat idea. But when you like get into the details, it, it seems problematic for a, a few reasons. One, like you mentioned, it really limits the, the phones you can use. Like I, I it sounds like you know, like kind of like the Nexus 6 is sort of one of your only choices right off the bat if you want it to is be the able only to switch. Choice. Yeah, between all these different options dynamically. And it's a phone the size of a small car. <laughs> right. Um, and then, you know, I, I think there's all, I, I'd have questions on actually how well that dynamic switching even works to begin with. I, I'd, I'd really want to see that in action before I, I'd believe that it was, you know, working like it was intended to. And then, you know, finally, like you also said, I, I, I'm, I'd be willing to bet that there are lots of areas where you would much rather be on either AT&T or Verizon than have the option of switching between Sprint and T-Mobile. And I say that as someone who has used both Sprint and T-Mobile in the past prior to switching to AT&T, and I, I found you know, both Sprint and T-Mobile to be lackluster at best it's like being able to have the choice of unlimited uh dr pepper and fanta instead of just having coke right <laughs> you know you you frequently come up with some weird analogies on on the show but i think that one actually worked it certainly does and <laughs> dr pepper's gross so yes well it's not i don't know if it's gross it's, it's just not as it's just not as good as coke no it's just like, pretty gross Sprint and T-Mobile just aren't as good as AT&T and Verizon. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I guess... Um, yeah, yeah I, I have no interest or excitement about... I, I don't know. And also, um, I, I believe there will never be an iPhone on this. Shocker. I don't know. I just... I You know what? I just... This, this whole thing just reeks to me of something that all the tech blogs get really excited about for a week and then everybody forgets. I think it's well. I think that's the entire Nexus series of phones. I think this is just on a much more like acute scale, like in the sense that, like who who other than, well, I'm I'm trying I'm making enemies here. But have you ever heard the term neckbeard? <laughs> uh, I have, and I'm really afraid of where this is going. <laughs> Wait, well, Ashley, do you know anybody who has a Nexus phone? So I can just stop talking. Um, probably not, right? I don't. I should be careful here. <laughs> I don't think. I. I. I certainly. I. I do know people who have Nexus phones, but I. I I'm trying to think. Do I have anyone? Do you, do you who's associate kind of been, like, with my, them? Yeah, like if, if anyone like who I regularly hang out with. Do they have a Nexus phone? I, I think the answer to that is no. I think everyone I know. I mean, a, an overwhelming majority of my friends have iPhones, but I, I think the ones that use Android don't have Nexus phones. So. I think I think we're in the clear. Here. So, I guess what I'm saying about that is that there's a certain person who will go and seek out a a Nexus device rather than I mean, like you can choose to prefer Android over iPhone. Like I, I don't I don't care about that. I mean, it's it's gotten better. It's it's not as crappy as it used to be. But like most people are picking like a, a Samsung device or to a lesser extent like some HTC or LG thing. But there's a very particular type of um, person 
that uh, that seeks out and makes sure that you hear that they have this Nexus phone that's pure Google. So I, I don't know. I just, I don't see, I think this is just going to appeal to those people, except it will be far more limited because it's going to be appealed to those people who don't travel or need good service. I guess, they, I mean, that maybe a counter argument kind of is Google Fiber seems really neat. But that's and... because, but that's not tied to, that's just better internet service. Yeah. Like, I mean, that has, you, you don't have to use Chromebook pixels to, <laughs> like, if, I, or, or, <laughs> do you, do you, how great, how great would that be? Maybe like there's Mac address filtering. And it's like, no, you have to use this one, <laughs> one computer and, uh, yeah. And you can only use, uh, you can't have an Apple TV connected to it. You have to have it like a Nexus Q or whatever the, the that thing was. You yeah, remember you could, that yeah, thing? That's right. you, yeah, you could, you could only, you can only use the TV service part of it if if you were running through some type of like Android TV box. Yes. Did I, did I just make that up? Is Android TV a thing? It is. A thing, <laughs> Do you remember right? when it was supposed to be on half of TVs by the end of the summer? <laughs> well, I think yeah, summer of uh, what 2012, <laughs> like 2012. <laughs> yeah. Oh um, man. Um. Oh, Google. Yeah. I enjoy how hard they or how much they try. I, I I don't mean to say that uh, patronizingly. They I don't know. They they bring a lot of experimental stuff to market, and you know what? Some of it sticks. No, like yeah, it I took think, a long time um, for Android to to uh, not stink as bad. I I think in general, Apple's approach, where saying no more than yes, it ultimately leads to higher quality, better products. So I'm I'm glad that that's what Apple does. But at the same time, I'm glad that there are other companies out there like Google where they just take the complete opposite approach. I even though I don't generally, you know, I I don't I don't really buy anything from Google, but um I I enjoy that it's out there. I I think it is it's it's good for Apple and it's it's just good for competition in general. Definitely. You you need you need the um the crazy guy in the race to keep everybody on. <laughs> That's right. I don't, I don't mean that in a bad way, but the people who just you know what you can't, you know what? You can't appreciate the good if you don't also see the bad. Whoa, whoa! whoa. I wasn't saying that at all. <laughs> I, know, I acknowledge, but I, but I just, but I just did. I acknowledge the value of Google, and also, and and also, I prefer. I I very much appreciate that Google does what it does because you know what? If it was just Apple, we'd have really shitty maps. Oh yeah, we really would. Weren't you the person you used to love Apple Maps? You're like, oh, it's prettier. Yeah, but I think. I think the main reason why Apple was pushed to improve maps so quickly was because there were way better alternatives out there. There are still way better alternatives. <laughs> well, agree to disagree. Okay. It, Apple Maps gets me from point A to point B. <laughs> Sometimes by taking you through point C. <laughs> no, it, it's fine. It works. I'm not saying it takes you like on a wild goose chase. It just doesn't take you the, the most efficient route. It just works. I, I, I'm shocked that you could say that about any recent Apple release in terms of software. I say it. I say it ironically. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to fast? Do you want to insert like a, a cut into uh, the comp, the conversation about the mobile hotspot thing? Yeah, I should. Yeah. Um. Like they, it's it's it's, it's a it's a callback. I think they say. I think so. All right. Um, and just to wrap it up, any uh, int- what what, what uh, this doesn't have to long- be long. Uh, what are your thoughts on Mad Men? Are you caught up? I am caught up. I think this 
I don't even I don't even know if calling it a season is fair because it's, it's only episodes. what seven episodes. I thought it was only five. No, it's got to be more than that. I think right, it's six or seven. Guides. Anyway, um, it's been very good. Um, there's a, there's a lot there's a lot going on. I, I feel like the last season or two things have been somewhat static, particularly like in Dawn's life. With with the exception of getting kicked out of the firm temporarily, that was a big thing. But a lot of a lot of his personal life was staying relatively the same. And you know, this season there's been a lot of change for him, um, which has I think kept the show a little fre- a little bit more fresh. But I don't know. At the, at the same time, I I feel like part of the reason why I'm enjoying these episodes is knowing that this is kind of you know. This is how they're wrapping up the series. Like, if this were just another season and there were, like, another season or two to go, I don't know if I'd feel quite the same, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, there, there's definitely, like, a sense of urgency and a sense of finality to the whole thing. And I also do like, and I didn't notice this up until today, because you see the history and you, they, they remind you, they've reminded you every season kind of where they are in, in like, the historical time. But I didn't realize that it's ending right as the 70s are approaching. Right. Like you saw in, because we just watched um, the most recent episode tonight um, of how Don was cycling through like Times, like pre- uh, Time Magazine's preview of what's coming in 1970. Anyway, I thought that was kind of neat. And it's a, good, it's a great place to end it. I'm glad it, it got that uh, that far along for that to be an option. But yeah, I, I think the, the stories have been pretty good. I, I, I appreciated a Jones-centric episode because, you know, Jones the best. You know, the, the one thing that I'm kind of confused about though is it just it doesn't really seem like they're wrapping anything up you know like they're i don't know it just it's it seems like if anything there's like more and more going on now where i just it's hard to it's hard to imagine in however many episodes are left two three four that they're i don't know i just i just don't know how they're gonna wrap this whole thing up or if they even will. I mean, maybe maybe that's not even what they're really looking to do. No, I, I don't think they will. I think what we've seen, and they're just kind of banging it over your head, but you're seeing that Joan finally has the job that she wants, and she's she's climbed up from a secretary administrator up to... She's a partner at the firm now, right? Yes. So so there's that. Um, Peggy is becoming... She She's set out her goals and her aspirations, and she's doing big things at the agency creatively as kind of the spiritual successor to Don. Don, you see his, uh, the fact that his life has, uh, his, like all his relationships have evaporated between, uh, like around him and that they keep reminding you that his life is actually fairly empty and he's not entirely well respected by many people, including his family and his coworkers. Um, So no, I think you're, the, the like wrap up part of it is just that you know the spirit and like the trajectory of the characters. Like I don't think like Don quits advertising at the end. I don't think there's gonna be anything like that. I don't think this is gonna be like a Breaking Bad style thing where we we ex- we see a complete end to all the stories. As usual, when we're talking about TV, you you find a way to much more succinctly uh, describe kind of what i want to describe i think i think i think you're i think you're spot on thanks um yeah and no i was totally wrong there are, there are seven episodes um and yeah I, i'm looking forward to it 
still, I mean, calling calling seven episodes a season is um, it's a stretch. Yeah. Although I think the episodes have been a little longer, right? They've been like two, three minutes longer than usual. I, I've noticed my TiVo's been. It'll be like an hour and you know five minutes or something. I think those and are I, just I extra I, ads. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm dead serious about no, that. No, maybe. Although the you, first you episode was that, an extra fifteen, but I think the other ones are just um, just extra ads. Do you notice that Mad Men does this thing though, where they they don't do any ads for the first like eighteen to twenty minutes? They definitely then, do, they definitely then they do bombard a longer... you with ads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then they bombard you with ads every like six minutes. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty quick, just like <laughs> Instacast. Um, I'm very quick on the <laughs> uh, the TiVo remote and 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 yeah, time I've, got, I've gotten out. pretty good at that too. Yeah. I don't know if that'll be a topic we, we come back to at some point, maybe like during a slow news week, but the, the TiVo continues to be excellent. TiVo's rock solid. Again, yeah, TiVo's like, it's really good. It just works. <laughs> Truly, it does. No, seriously, it, it's, it's, it's as close to perfect. Like, I mean, it's not great. Like, the interface isn't, like, the interface works really well, but it's very utilitarian. It's not pretty. It's not Apple-like. It, it looks fine, but it just works. You turn it on, you hit play. It never fails to record anything. It's it it works. I I know, I know this is never going to happen, and I know that a lot of people, maybe even yourself included, wouldn't even want this. But I would love an Apple TV that's just the TiVo, so it just it just takes a cable card, plugs into my existing cable service, but it's it's made by Apple. It's got the Apple UI, plugs into all the various apps and services. I I think that would be the absolute greatest box. I know it's never going to happen, I, but I just that I, would be I, that 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 is the one thing that Apple TV could do. Like I've, we've talked a lot on the show about how I'm just really not excited about a, a new Apple TV. If that were the next Apple TV, I I'd be the first one in line. You mean that it integrates a cable card based DVR? That's right. I if that were to happen, I think it would be a decidedly worse product than TiVo. I do not think Apple is the company to to do that. They would do it terribly. Hmm. Well, I mean, maybe you maybe you think that way because they just would never do it. I, I think they would never do it because they would. Tr- because I, I what, what's the whole thing that Steve Jobs always said? He's like, they won't ever do something until they can do it well. I don't think traditional TV is a thing that can be done well. Wow, that's pretty good. But um, sorry. <laughs> No, that was just. But I mean, no, I I I think that's true. That uh, like just something where you have five hundred channels of linear, always on television, where you have ad breaks and uh, shows that don't start on time and overlap, and you need multiple tuners, and you have guide info that changes all the time, and like like all all these variables that Apple, the simplicity that they would try to force into the user interface is incompatible with television as it stands. And TiVo does a really graceful job of making the best of it. So I I don't think Apple could do it well, which is why they don't. I think they're content to let somebody do it as best they can and barely scrape by, which unfortunately is what TiVo is. (sighs) Yeah, you're right. I wish they were more successful. I mean, I guess I do too, but they've, They've stuck around long enough to, you know, make pretty good boxes. Yeah, maybe, maybe I don't know. Maybe this, maybe this is a bigger topic we can get back to. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. The show, the, you know, the show's very organic, Carlos. We don't, we don't, we don't plan weeks ahead or anything. 
we, we don't plan minutes ahead. Did <laughs> yes. I show I show up to this. I click record, and it's over with. It's very true. Yeah. And with that, until next week. <laughs>